Welcome to episode three of I Asked My Dad. We are now two weeks into the Blue Letter Bible chronological reading plan. So in this episode, we will be reviewing the book of Job, uh, chapters 17 through 39, and then previewing our reading for next week, which is the last three chapters of Job and uh, Genesis 12 through 29. So thank you all so much for reading along with us. We've heard from a number of you, and I think my dad and I are both just really excited that people are reading the Bible this year and reading along with us. That's been really fun for us. And dad, I, I realized in these last few episodes, I actually haven't really introduced you other than just to say, hi, dad. So <laughs> do you want to, do you want to tell everybody who you are? Well, right now I am a professor at Erskine Theological Seminary. Uh, this will be my 20th year doing that. And for 20 years before that, I was an associate pastor at the First Presbyterian Church. Uh, looking back to the beginning of my life, uh, I had the benefit of growing up uh, in a home uh, with a very godly mother. Uh, we were always taken to church, went to church regularly, and it was a church that taught the Bible. We had to memorize verses every week and vacation Bible school. But I didn't come to faith till I got uh, to college, uh, first year of college in a fellowship of Christian athletes uh, meeting. I got involved in a discipleship group, and the Lord opened my heart uh, to believe the things that were in the Scriptures. Uh, I've often looked back upon my life before that, though, very thankful that I was brought up uh, under a godly mother and uh, in a church that taught me the Bible, because although in my life the light did not come on until I got to college, when the light did come on, uh, the room in my life was not empty. There was a lot of biblical knowledge there, and things began to fall into place for me very quickly. And I think that's one of the benefits of this Bible reading plan, getting the uh, the scriptures into our hearts and lives. Even though as we read through it, we come across many passages, as in this past week, uh, great questions about what Job is saying or what his friends are saying or what's wrong uh, with the friends' uh, speeches and and what's right in Job, what's wrong in Job. Um, just the accumulation of knowledge over time is important because when the light one day does come on, the room will not be empty, and we'll be able to put many pieces of the Bible back together. That's a great encouragement. So we are we are furnishing our rooms, <laughs> whether the light is is on already or not, I guess, but I do enjoy that illustration and am thankful for Mamaw's faithfulness and taking you to church all those years. And, um, yeah, and you mentioned we did have some some difficult parts this week. So if you're if you're listening to this, I hope you're you're caught up on your reading uh, so far. So congratulations on getting almost all the way through Job. This this has been a hard book and dad as you've uh, answered my questions throughout the week. Um, you know, I think this is a book that doesn't necessarily get easier the more times you go through it. Um, I, I've struggled through it, I think, this week just as much as I have in in past read-throughs. But 
We've been reading through a continuation of the discourse between Job and his three friends, uh, friends in in quotes, I guess, um, friends used in a loose way there, but they, they've been accusing him of wickedness. He's been defending himself against their attacks. Then we get Job's final appeal, chapters 29 through 31, and then we have six chapters of Elihu, and you kind of prepped us for that last week a little bit, and then the Lord himself speaks. So uh, in the midst of all these speeches, we have a very, a very poetic chapter um, on wisdom in chapter 28. I thought maybe we could start there. What do you make of this chapter? You know, if we start at the very end of the book, and I know people perhaps haven't read that far just yet, uh, but anticipating the end, uh, we know that God condemns the friends, so much of what they say is wrong. But Job also repents, so some of what he says is wrong. What Job said is much better than what the friends say, but Job himself repents, and so there are things that are wrong. And I think one of the things to be gained from the book as you, as you kind of walk through the trials of Job as you walk through the uh, what really is an assault uh, from his friends, uh, they don't, I think, intend it as such. Uh, they first come to comfort him, uh, but then they think they're defending God uh, against Job's uh, accusations. Uh, but they they really do form part of the assault that is coming from Satan against Job. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, chapter one, uh, the, uh, the afflictions of Job take away from him the, the good things of life, his children, his prosperity, and so on. His outward blessings are all taken away. But Job holds fast to his faith. And then in the next chapter, uh, the devil says, well, skin for skin, uh, the minute you touch his life, then he will curse you. And so that at that point, it's not just that Job has lost the good things of life. It's that Job then receives the very bad things of life. And uh, he's racked with pain and so on. Uh, but that's not the end of the devil's assault. Um, the devil's actually going to be coming through the friends. And that may... Uh, that, that may seem uh, an odd way to put it, but remember that in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, Satan came at the Lord Jesus Christ through Peter himself. When Jesus began to tell his disciples that the cross was before him, in Matthew's gospel, Peter immediately jumps in and says, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, so, uh, Peter, of course, wasn't seeking to be the tool or instrument of Satan, uh, but his failure to understand properly the things of God made him, even in his good intentions, to become an instrument of Satan. And that's where Job's friends are. They have become part of the attack and the assault on Job. Um, and he is wrecked during that time. But as you follow it through, as you're pointing out, Every now and again, and chapter 28 is one of those places, and in fact, it's probably the biggest place till we get to the very end, uh, that it seems that 
Job is seeing clearly. Uh, and in chapter 28, he knows that the fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning of wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So that's kind of a rock in his life uh, that remains steadfast. Um, but there's a lot of other things going on in his mind that leave him confused and wandering uh, about God, what's going on, and uh, as he's assaulted by his friends with accusations of wrongdoing. It's a very disorienting time uh, for Job, and so following him through that is somewhat of a preview of what comes into our lives when we perhaps meet with intense suffering or prolonged suffering or altogether unexpected suffering, uh, we can find ourselves disoriented and confused. But in the case of Job, we see there's these, there's these anchoring points along the way where the light is bursting through uh, and, and, and Job is being upheld. That's great. I, I think that was really helpful for me, what you said last week, just kind of understanding that even though we see Satan really prominent at the beginning of the book, he hasn't disappeared because his attack on Job continues through his friends. And um, yeah, so chap chapter 28 is kind of this culmination of, of his highlights that we get in these, you know, the verses that really stick out to people along the way. And, and chapter 28 turns out to be a kind of a combination of all of that. And as we look to the end, I, I guess I should perhaps say we we talked about we're kind of combining the uh, Job part of our preview in with our review just to, to take it all together. So if you need to pause this and go read the last three chapters of Job, you can do that. But uh, let me ask this. We've, we've mentioned the glimpse that the reader of this book has behind the scenes. You know, we get the we get the behind the scenes look at the beginning of the book. And now that we've come to the end, um, what do we know about the book given now what we, what we, what we read at the end, how does that help us understand the book as a whole? Well, I think perhaps one of the things that people are hoping they will get out of the book as they start into it, knowing just a little bit about it and what they know is uh, that a righteous man suffered terrible things. And so I think sometimes people are hoping that they will come to understand why these bad things can happen to people who are truly sincere in their faith to, toward God and seek to live a God-honoring life. Why are they subjected to these things? I think that's one of the hopes that people have. And I think one of the things that the book of Job teaches us along the way is that life is a whole lot more complex than that. Uh, and we're not always given the inside view into what's going on. Uh, even in the whole book of Job itself, Job is never told what went on in chapter one in that scene where Satan appears before God. In the book itself, we don't know when Job found that out. Don't know that Job ever did find out. Somebody did, because the book has been written. But within the story of Job, even he doesn't know that Satan had come before God 
and brought this accusation that Job's faith was entirely mercenary, that he did this uh, uh, he did this life of righteousness before God only because God was so good to him and blessing him. And the accusation of Satan was that if you take away all those good things, Job's faith will disappear. Uh, and so Job becomes the test case for whether God is worth serving, whether God is worth knowing, whether God is worth loving, if he's not good to you, if he doesn't bless you, if he doesn't make your life easy. Uh, so that's the real drama that's going on in the book. But Job is never given the understanding for why these bad things happen to him within the story of the book. As I say, somebody knew it because the book was written. But within the story of Job itself, he never gets the inside picture. And so often that is the case. Things happen in our lives for which there is no obviously good reason. We can't see any good purpose being served by it. And the book of Job is teaching us that in times like that, we should never let the things that we don't know confuse us about the things that we do. I think that's where Job ends up at the end. He doesn't get an explanation. He just comes back to the fact that after God showed up and revealed himself to him, the goodness, the greatness of God is such that Job ought always to trust him, even when he doesn't understand. I think that's the big takeaway from the book. I think another big takeaway from this book um, is the affirmation that it makes about the sovereignty of God. Uh, when Job comes to the end after God has made himself known, uh, Job repents in dust and ashes, but his confession in chapter 42 is, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can ever be thwarted. It is a sovereign God that Job serves and trusts in this book. And even though that trust gets shaken by the intensity of his suffering, uh, he's never shaken off it entirely. Uh, as confused as he is as to why these bad things have happened, as uh, angry as I think he becomes with the accusations of his friends, uh, Job is never shaken uh, from the belief that he is dealing with God. The book shows us, yes, Satan is involved. The Sabaeans, the Chaldeans were involved. Evil people and evil beings did evil things in Job's life. But Job knows that over all of that, God is sovereign. You know, I had the opportunity once to sit through an interview listening uh, to Johnny Erickson Tata. A friend of mine was interviewing her on behalf of a magazine. He asked me to come along. And uh, she had 30 minutes on her schedule. But after about 25 minutes, uh, the interview was done. My friend had asked all his questions. So he turned to me and he said, do you have a, a question uh, for Mrs. Tata. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do, if she's willing to, to take one. She said, yeah, we've got a few minutes. I'd be glad to. So I told her that at one time I had seen an advertisement in a Christian book catalog, uh, and it was an advertisement for the book, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Now, I knew that book. I'd read that book. It had been recommended to me when I was a young 
uh, Christian person. It was a great help to me. But it's certainly not a bestseller. Uh, it's certainly not a book that is especially uh, well-known. But the book catalog had said that this was the book that had changed Johnny Erickson Todd's life. And I'd have to tell you, I was just a bit skeptical when I read the advertisement. I thought maybe a bookseller was trying to just make a few more sales by getting a hot recommendation uh, on a book. So I was a little bit skeptical of it. And that was the question that I had for her and told her that I had been reading in this catalog and that that was the book that changed her life. And she looked at me in the most sober, straight way. And she said, absolutely the truth. She said, until I came face to face with a sovereign God, she said, there was no way for me to move forward in this. There was just no way. And I had to come to accept that what had happened to me was a part of the plan of a sovereign God. And when I found out that that God who was sovereign was also good and loving and had died for me in Jesus Christ, then I learned to trust him, even though at first I had no understanding of how my disability could possibly serve the purposes of God. So I think that's somewhat like the, the story of Job. She certainly had a long, productive, and fruitful Christian life, but it's been a life of great and terrible suffering. Uh, on the front end of that, nobody could ever have imagined what her life would become. And in Job's case, I don't think he could imagine what had happened in his life. But in the end, he came to a reaffirmation of God's sovereignty, and he repented in dust and ashes, forever questioning the goodness and the greatness of God. Wow, what a testimony Johnny Erickson has. That's that's a neat story. Lorraine Bettner, right? Is that the book? That's the that's the book, Lorraine Bettner. Okay. <laughs> uh, B o e t t n e r, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Awesome. Well, as we think about the end of the book, and the Lord uh, rebukes Job's friends and uh, rebukes Job, I guess, kind of through Elihu, and then the Lord Himself. But we we talked about that different perspective as the reader, because we saw the behind the scenes at the beginning, is there another lesson in there for us? You know, obviously outside of the the sovereignty of God that you've talked about, but do you think there's a lesson maybe specific to us um, as readers of this book that's maybe different than what Job and his friends are getting? Well, I think alongside the sovereignty of God, we've got to keep closely connected to it, the goodness of God. That's the new direction that I think Elihu takes this in. The three friends, and I think we ought to keep in mind, they really were friends. These were men who loved, respected Job, felt very bad for him, came to comfort him. But for all that, they proved to be more of an affliction to Job than they were a comfort. Uh, and for them, uh, it was a totally binary situation uh, here. There's God is good on the one hand, and there are bad things that happen in the world. But because God is good, bad things only happen to bad people. And so if your life is full of bad things, you must be a bad person. And that just didn't make any sense to Joe. Uh, so he was utterly resistant against 
that binary polarity uh, in the book, that this whole thing was due to his sin. But with Elihu, he comes with the idea that God in his goodness is working in Job's life to prevent him from great evil, to bring him into a deeper relationship with God. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, Job's testimony at, at the end of the book, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. It's as if everything that Job knew about God before this crisis in his life could be compared to a rumor. He had just been hearing about God. He didn't really know God. But now that he has been brought through this trial, and now that he's been brought into this greater revelation of the, the full power of God in his ordering of the universe, etc., cetera, uh, now he says, my eye sees you. It's oftentimes in the depths of our suffering suffering that we didn't understand at the first, that we come to this deeper understanding of the grace of God and the goodness of God, as well as, as his power. And I think that's a big takeaway from the book, that in the end, Job is not uh, reacting in bitterness towards God because all these bad things had happened to him. Uh, Job is not accusing God that so much time in his life has been wasted. Job is deeply humble before God and repentant because he has been brought to such a fuller and greater understanding of God himself. I think you've said that's your favorite part. Is that right? The, the end of Job? Yes. Uh, I love Job's final speech. <laughs> uh, first of all, his affirmation, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. All right. So there's the sovereignty of God. But of course, one of the favorite verses of so many people in the Bible is Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good with those who love him. When you take the sovereignty of God and you put it together with the goodness of God, you can live through anything. However long it takes, however intense the suffering is, if you believe in a sovereign God and a good and loving God, and you don't let the things that you don't know confuse you about the things that you do, you really can live through anything. As Job shows, uh, you might be living on the edge uh, through many times because the intensity of suffering can really rock you. Uh, but to have those anchors in the soul, concerning the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. It will make you strong when faith is being eroded by the afflictions of this age. Great words, Dad. Thank you. That's really helpful. Thank you for walking us through the book of Job. Um, I think if there was ever a, a Mark Ross bumper sticker, it might be that don't let what you don't know confuse you about what you do know. <laughs> I think you've used that a number of times with me, which has been helpful. Just a quick preview of what's coming up this week um, in Genesis. Jumping back into Genesis, we'll go from chapters 12 through 29. And the last big thing that we saw before we went to Job was the scattering of mankind out from Babel, the genealogy down from 
one of Noah's sons, Shem. And so as we come to Genesis 12, there's this uh, narrowing focus, right? The God's interaction with creation and with mankind is, is narrowing down to one man and his family. So we get some very personal stories and some significant events in the life of this family and in God's dealings with his people. What what are some of those significant things? What should we be watching for in, in terms of just main events as we kind of trace God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I love the way you put that. God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, as we move into the stories, back into historical narrative where events are going to replace long speeches such as we had in the book of Job, as the the stories of individual people become prominent, it's very easy to forget the fact that the main character in the book is God. It's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, it's not Jacob. It's God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's what we're learning about God. And I think we want to enter into this somewhat new section, keeping hold of what we learned in the last we saw in the great judgment scene of the flood that in the aftermath, God makes a covenant. He makes a covenant of life. He is not going to destroy the world. Sin is not going to have the last word. The rainbow will be his sign in the sky. Every time God sees the rainbow, he will remember his covenant. And so in the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is remembering his covenant. And now we see that God is going to remember his covenant by choosing for himself one man from which he is going to build a household of faith. And through most of the Old Testament, that household of faith is going to be of his descendants. And many of those descendants are going to prove to be not of the household of faith. They're from the line of Abraham, but we'll have repeated stories of their rebellions. But God is remaining firm and fast toward his covenant. And so he doesn't let the world go off scattered away into sin and in their rebellion. He doesn't leave the world just by restraining evil. He works now in calling a man to himself through whom he is going to bring salvation into the world. The New Testament's going to open by reminding us of that. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew will begin. This is the book of the Genesis, is a literal translation, the book of the genealogy uh, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so we're now getting the Abraham portion of that story and what comes from him. But we ought to be looking for the evidence of God's faithfulness to his covenant. He's got a purpose at work in the world to save a people for himself. And he's beginning that work anew in Abraham and in his seed. That's a good word. So we'll we'll be looking for evidence of God's faithfulness to his covenant as we jump back into Genesis. So that's a preview for the week coming up. And we will be back next week to review it and uh, to go further in Genesis and then Exodus. So thanks for joining us and uh, keep up with your Bible reading. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.